This episode of Onward to Victory is proudly presented by WCScreens.com. As sure as Avery Davis's hands, WCScreens.com is the leader, the gold standard of the screen printing and embroidery industry. And they can save you or your company money. Head on over and see our pals at WCScreens.com today. And on with the show. Hey, who said the football offseason had to be boring? Today, Onward to Victory is proud to present our State of the Program Address, where I and a new member of the team are going to break it down for you. Everything you need as we head into the spring football season, which of course gives way to summer, which of course gives way to fall, where our fighting Irish will return once again to Notre Dame Stadium. Buckle up those chin straps, Irish fans. This is Onward to Victory. Hello and welcome to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. My name is Alex Painter and thank you for joining the show today for episode number 58. And as always, I gotta tell you, I'm really excited about the offering today. And why is that? Well, we'll have the opportunity to meet a new member of the team and I will give him a quick introduction here in just a moment, but we are going to discuss just in time for President's Day. So yes, whereas the president normally gives a State of the Union address, we are going to give a State of the Program address where we're going to discuss topics such as the new class of 2022. Who are we excited about among our new commitments, the schedule for next year, the new coaching staff, and several other topics. But I'm going to be joined today by a new member of the team. And that is Matt Gehring. And Matt is a guy who I have known for probably about seven years now, which I think uh, when I stopped and thought about it, surprised me, and I bet it would surprise him too. But Matt brings a lifelong passion of Notre Dame to the show and also quite a bit of experience formally covering the Irish as he has seen time with the Irish Roundtable, which was an affiliate of the Sports Mecca. So Matt co-hosted the podcast for... Irish Roundtable, where they discuss recruiting classes, season previews, game reviews, and pretty much everything in between. And while he was there, he was also the lead writer for Notre Dame football content, again, on the sports mecca. And just aside from that, when we're talking about life and other professional experience, Matt has a keen understanding of college athletics as he was a college coach. And that's actually where I met him. He was the head of the Earlham College Golf Program, both men and women. So he brings a very unique perspective to the show, and I am really, really excited to tap into it, and you're going to find out just why that is here in just a couple minutes when Matt joins the show. So not only will Matt be joining me for episodes like the spring preview or season preview or season review, but he will also be contributing to a new initiative as Onward to Victory is unveiling a new website, and that will be onwardtovictory.com. Blog. We are going to be providing you all, you diehard Irish fans, with much more content during the 2022 season. 
So it's going to be a gas. Matt and I will be working together on developing content for the new website, which again will be unveiled here soon, but it is live. Go to onwardtovictory.blog and head over there, and that'll be where a lot of content will be funneled henceforward. And the website I would be remiss to mention is completely sponsored by our friends at wcscreens.com. So wcscreens.com is playing a huge role in the continued growth and development of Onward to Victory. And I know a lot of you really enjoy the history episodes. I am pleased to announce that those are going absolutely nowhere. I just really felt that the timing was right, given the wide listenership of the show, the incredible support from WCScreens.com and the other Consensus All-Americans, whom I will give a shout-out to here in just a moment, and then also the availability and the willingness of Matt Gehring to join the team, and really just a desire to continue to grow and to continue to be viewed as one of the leaders in Notre Dame football content, which is our absolute goal. So the confluence of all these things that I just mentioned kind of came together and it was really a no-brainer. 2022, we look to be a very special year. So needless to say, we are really glad that you're here for the ride. So again, a very special thank you to our pals at wcscreens.com. And we're going to be looking for more fun and interesting ways to more, even more formally, I should say, partner with them. But if you are in the need of any screen printing or embroidery, I really hope that you head over to wcscreens.com and see how they can help you. Their service is exemplary and their standard is nothing short of gold. So again, I'd like to thank them, but also our consensus All-Americans, again, those who help the show with donations. And as I like to say, again, to keeping the Subway alumni train on the tracks. And those folks are Michael Finan of Rutherford, New Jersey, Brad Glazier of Williamsburg, Indiana, Weston Painter of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and Will Fuller of Redondo Beach, California. Thank you all very much. But as I like to say, everyone grab a locker room stool and pull it here close. And let's talk some fighting Irish football right after this. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. With President's Day quickly approaching, we decided appropriate to do not a state of the union, but rather a state of the program type address. And today I am super excited to be joined by a new member of the team in Mr. Matt Gehring. Matt, how are you, pal? Alex, it's great to be here. I'm excited to be part of the team and this is the this is the part of the the year where depression sets in. There's no football, you none know, whatsoever. <laughs> signing day and getting ready for the combine with the Notre Dame players and spring game around the corner. So it's just chomping at the bit for August. Absolutely, I I echo that sentiment. And uh, Matt is going to be joining the Onward to Victory team as a contributor, both for the podcast, but also uh, for the website. The show's brand new website, which I kind of talked about in the show's opening. But again, that is onwardtovictory.blog. So be sure to always be checking that for new content. And the onwardtovictory.blog is proudly presented by our partners in crime at wcscreens.com. And I know that 2022 is going to be a big year for the show. 
And I'm personally elated that Matt is on the uh, Subway alumni train with me, so to speak. So, all right, Matt, give the people what they want. Give them an introduction. Share some about yourself. Yeah, you know, live and breathe Notre Dame football. I've uh, been a fan, you know, I'm 32 years old and I don't remember a time. I'm actually looking at a picture right now that Lou Holtz signed for my grandmother after she sent a letter in saying, with, with a picture of me in a Notre Dame trash can, uh, you know, saying how big of a diehard Notre Dame family we are. So it runs through our family, big Catholic family. And I don't ever remember a time not being around Notre Dame and Notre Dame football. So it's just, it's, it's, it's been a part of my life and I converted my wife over to being a Notre Dame fan. So it's a big part of our life. And Hey, props to you. I also converted my spouse to the, uh, to the Irish. It's, Hey, big, big victories when everyone in the house is kind of copacetic on the, on these matters. Absolutely. <laughs> well, good deal. Uh, now the purpose of this episode is to talk about the current state of the program, which has of course undergone some significant changes over the past few months. So Matt, we're going to discuss the coaching staff. We're going to talk about post national signing day thoughts, players we might think will be sleepers heading into spring ball, overall impressions, and just whatever else we end up kind of falling into for this episode. But first, we got to talk about the Fiesta Bowl against Oklahoma State because, well, everyone else has, and we haven't had an opportunity to yet, I suppose. But Matt, we are almost seven weeks out from that game, which, of course, the Irish led 28 to 7 in the waning moments of the first half before not only coughing up the lead, but ultimately dropping newly installed head coach Marcus Freeman's debut 37 to 35 to the Cowboys. I can't stress this enough, Matt. It's been talked about ad nauseum, this game has. And I think just now all of us are kind of probably starting to get over it. So what a great time to bring it up again and talk about it. But what do you make make of the game today? I think Coach Freeman took a lot of unfair criticism for that game. I think you could have put anybody in there and it was going to be a situation where a win was awesome, but a loss would have been expected turnover, players leaving, key players leaving. The big one for me was not having Kyron Williams in the game, not having Kyle Hamilton there, two cornerstones of the program. For me, it was to, it was as expected. The manner in which it happened, giving up a big lead, you know, getting out in front, really a tale of two halves, I, I don't necessarily know was ideal, but I think the result at the end for me was a little expected. I agree. Um, I have a tendency to agree. Not having Kyron Williams, I think the Irish went the almost the entire season, it felt like, without the very best player in the program. So I assume maybe there was this idea that there was so much excitement around the program because of Freeman's promotion that the Irish could just merely shrug off Kyron Williams' absence. I'm not faulting him. I totally understand why he missed this ball game. That was the heart and possibly even the soul of the offense, and they missed him. Heart and soul, I think, describes it really well, but I think the key for the Irish offense this year was having having the balanced attack between the strong running game. And I think anybody who watched every single game knows that if Jack Cohen had to get out of the pocket, it wasn't going to be a good result. So, you know, Logan Diggs was serviceable. That's the word I'm going to choose to use his his uh, appearance in the game. And having Jack Cohen have to throw 68 times to try to win a game. I don't know if Brady Quinn could have even done that. You know, you're not asking your quarterback to throw 70 times in a football game is not necessarily a recipe for success. But I think it was what you had to do, given where we were at with our run game. 
Absolutely. And I think coach Freeman has a a ridiculous amount of swagger that he brings to the sideline that he brings to the program, but there is going to be a natural disparity when you're facing a guy in Mike Gundy who had this, I think there was a graphic that flashed that this was like his 214th college football game that he's been the head coach of. And this was Freeman's first. So you were going to have that. And I think you could, you could probably agree with me on this one, the overreaction. I mean, we were all just sorely disappointed and crushed by it, but the overreaction train, I mean, people were shoveling coal into that thing. It was steaming full bore ahead. But I think for the first half too, you saw that from the players, they got up to such a massive lead that that was the, you know, I'm wearing my Freeman era shirt. That was the Freeman factor. The players played for him like that. That's what it was about. And then reality set in, then it was time to play football and not to say that Mike Gundy outcoached Marcus Freeman, but there was definite areas where you saw a veteran coach who had been there before and a coach who had played at that level, but had not coached and had to make the adjustments on that big of a stage. Absolutely. Yeah. And you saw that, you saw that bore out in the second half. So, well, we'll, we'll move on from that game. Let's, let's talk a little bit more on the positive side. I mean, not that again, it was an inauspicious start for the Freeman era, but as you mentioned, expectations with anything, particularly in this situation, always need to be in check. I mean, it was disappointing how it ended how, when the scoreboard hit zeros, what the final result was, but there was plenty of positive, positive takeaways from that football game that we can kind of move forward with. But so let's talk about this coaching staff that Freeman has assembled. So this is courtesy of our friends at Fighting Irish Preview. That's Mr. Phil Hauk. He reports that in 2021, the Notre Dame staff was an average age of 45.5. Freeman's new staff averages 40.7 years of age. So we're about five years younger on this. And I think that's, that's really exciting. So Matt, we have almost a fresh new coaching staff. Of course, we've retained Tommy Reese, though. I did hear some rumblings around the campfire. There might be an NFL team after him, but what coaching spots, what coaches who are new to the staff are you most excited about? And you think will be the really strong fits for Freeman and his ethos and what he's bringing to the Irish. I mean, I think the easy pick and and I won't go into it too much, but I think the easy pick is Tommy Reese. He knows Notre Dame. He's passionate about Notre Dame. You know, he obviously was the quarterback for, for the Irish, but for me, the two biggest hires, in my opinion, bringing back Harry Heinstein. I mean, that to me being able to do that is, is the pillar of this staff. You say we got five years younger, but we got 10 years older with the level of experience that we have, yes. um, especially with an offensive line that you, you're bringing, you know, Blake Fisher's coming back. You know, you're going to have a top five offensive line in the country that, that Coach Heinston can coach, which is awesome. And I think Dylan McCullough is, to me, the next up and coming coach. You know, obviously he had the New York Giants after him for their right. running backs coach. He was at the Chiefs, I believe, um, before being at Indiana. And everybody says, you know, it, it's a consensus that he's one of the, he was one of the top assistants, you know, to, to be on the market this offseason. And so I think bringing him in at a, a very pivotal time for a Notre Dame running game, you're, you're losing Kyron Williams, who, again, the heart and soul. So you're going to have a young backfield that needs guidance, that needs some leadership. And I think he's the perfect, perfect person to meld together the, the dual threat attack that we're going to get with either with either Buckner or Pine, whoever, 
whoever the choice is going to be. Yeah. And I think that's going to bring some, some balance back to our, to our offense that we need. Well, let's talk, we'll talk about high stand here in a minute, but I have to ask you, do all roads lead through Miami of Ohio? Cause McCullough, if memory serves is a Miami guy. And yep. not to mention, I had forgotten Sean McVay, who just, of course, recently won a Super Bowl as a Miami guy. It's it's uncanny how many guys uh, go through that program. Yep. But high three stand, minutes down the road from us. Exactly. I, I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> it's it's so close to us. And it's like if you're not if you're not otherwise aware of their coaching history, just I mean, they've got statues, literal statues outside their their stadium of all the awesome coaches that have gone through. But let's talk about high stand for a moment, because this is where we are definitely singing out the same hymnal. Now, who knows what the starting five will be for the 2022 Irish, but it wouldn't surprise me working left to right. Joe Alt, uh, Andrew Kristofich, uh, Jarrett Patterson, a huge guy coming back. Josh Lug, another one. And as you mentioned, Blake Fisher, this is an incredibly talented guy. Not only is high stand got, as you mentioned, he's got experience, but he's got experience with this program. Just in case anyone was unaware, high stand is actually, this is a, his second tenure and what he spent, I think, three seasons with maybe it's four with the Bears. So he is definitely one that I am also excited about. So, Matt, how you feel about Al Golden joining the staff? I think at first it was a head scratcher, given how his tenure, how his tenure ended at, for the Hurricanes. That was that was a head scratcher. You know, you, you kind of you're, you're afforded second chances as, as coaches a lot of times. And, it, and it's worked out. I mean, let's, you know, let's look at Lane Kiffin, for example. You know, he was, I don't want to say it was a similar way that he went out at USC to, to where uh, Golden went out at Miami. But then, you know, Kiffin gets in down at Alabama. He goes to FIU. Now he's at Ole Miss. There, there's something to be said about coming back, doing a reset, restart. But I also think from, a, from an experience standpoint, you look top to bottom, but especially with Al Golden, he brings valuable power five head coaching experience to the table Absolutely. that Coach Freeman's going to be able to lean on. And I think that's the biggest thing. The, the more people that we can get around him the next three or four years that have that head coaching experience, he's already, you know, he's already off like a like a rocket, anyways. But this is only going to help. This is only going to help him from an experience standpoint. So I, I'm excited. I am too. Like, and honestly, and you're you're giving a seasoned coach a defense that is pretty deep. And we'll talk more about the personnel of the offense and the defense here in just a few. But my like all of a sudden that that defensive backfield has I don't even know how many starts. I don't it's even hard to comprehend how many starts, but of course the the entrance of Brandon Joseph from Northwestern in the program. I mean huge, huge. For tight end university, as we like to dub ourselves, uh, Drod Parker is the new tight ends coach. I think uh, because what was it? Uh, McNulty was promoted offensive coordinator at BC, if uh, Boston College. So how how you feel about this guy? I, I didn't know much about him. Maybe you can share some. I think he's a good hire. I think anybody that comes, you know, it's kind of like if you get hired as linebackers coach at Penn State, right? It's yeah, it's the pedigree <laughs> of the program. I think that he's going to mold himself to what the tight end position is. I mean, having, having Michael Mayer here is absolutely massive for, for him as, as a first year tight ends coach with us. So I think having that veteran presence in the locker room is going to be a big help. You know, I believe they added two four-star tight ends to the 2022 recruiting class, which obviously we'll get into later, but you're continuously adding depth at that position. So I think the biggest thing for him is, 
using the pedigree of the tight end position at Notre Dame, obviously, you know, like you said, we've dubbed it tight end you, you've got to continue to build on that. And it is, it's a position of need, I think, or not a position of need necessarily, but it's a very important position. And it always has been at Notre Dame because of our inability for whatever reason to be able to attract the blue chip five star six foot five 210 pound outside wide receiver threat it's been huge for us you know to have those you know the Tyler Eiferts of the world Kyle Rudolphs of the world as our as our as our safety blanket for our quarterbacks so he's got a lot of pressure on him for for a position coach I'm not sure you know, maybe quarterback coach at, at Alabama, linebacker coach at Penn State. There's there's not too many position coaches that you look at with scrutiny, but the yes. tight end coach at Notre Dame, I think, is definitely one of them. No, I agree, and maybe that's why it kind of it kind of pinged my uh, my attention because it's like if you are a tight ends coach in America, is this like the best job? Or <laughs> so. Yeah. I, but I think you're right. It's like akin to linebackers coach at Penn State University or whatever, whatever it might be. But I also agree with your sentiment about Notre Dame. I mean, we had that stretch where we had, you know, Miles Boykin and Chase Claypool, some bigger bodies out there. But that is just that has not been what we are normally looking at. We're normally looking at like, a you know, the Will Fuller, the Torrey Hunter Jr., the TJ Joneses of the world. And I love those guys. Don't get yeah. me wrong, but not those big hulking guys that, you know, can stretch the field. So you mentioned you mentioned our first year class. Let's let's transition to National Signing Day, which was uh, about a little over two weeks ago. So just to recap, according to Rivals.com, Notre Dame landed the seventh best class in the entire nation. So we got 22 recruits coming in here in 2022, 16 of which are four star and four are three star. And just to round out the top 10 here, so you had Texas A&M at number one, Alabama at two, Georgia three, Ohio State four, Texas five, Penn State six, Notre Dame seven, Oklahoma eight, Michigan nine, and Clemson 10. And when you look at the top 15, I don't know, Matt, you probably feel similar, Indiana University coming in at number 15, which they they end up with eight four-star guys, but 14 three-star guys. So they're really kicking it up a few notches down there. Absolutely. Just they must have gone completely under the radar because I was not aware that they had risen so high on the rivals ranks. But we have 22 players coming in now. All of them are subject to red shirts or whatever it might be. Is there anyone in particular that you think even as early as 2022 can come in and make a quick impression in a quick impact? Yeah, I, there, there's two guys that I like to start from day one. Obviously, the headliner of the class is Jalen Sneed, the linebacker from Heritage. 100%. Yeah, from South Carolina. I mean, just an absolute stud. It's it's unanimous across the board. Any any of the recruiting databases say this guy's a blue chipper. And it's not to, I mean, no surprise at all that we were able to land him having, you know, Coach Freeman as the head coach. That's, I mean, if you look at the class top to bottom, it is definitely defense heavy. Uh, they bring in, their, their top two in the rankings are linebackers. Their top three of their top four are front seven guys. So it's, you can definitely see where the priority was. But Jalen, I think just from a depth perspective, and I think, you know, I don't want to rehash this because we said we're going to move past it. But the <laughs> one glaring thing that I took away from the Fiesta Bowl was our lack of tackling at the second level with linebackers. Yes. Way too many missed tackles. 
way too many times those running backs were getting into the second level past them. Safeties were having to come down and make the tackle. And I think Jalen, I watched his film. The guy flies. The thing that I like about him most, uh, he's played end and he's played outside linebacker. So he's been able to play. He's been able to play down against right tackles, left tackles. He knows how to shed blocks. He knows how to get into the backfield and get after the quarterback. But the guy absolutely flies because in his senior year, he played outside linebacker and safety. And if we remember right, two years ago, we had a player who is now playing for our beloved Cleveland Browns that I'm going to akin Jalen Sneed to from that style of play. And so I'm very excited about that. On the offensive side of the ball, Tobias Merriweather is a guy that I really like at the wide receiver position. Yes, we have depth at the receiver position even though, you know, we lose Kevin Austin and um, which is a big loss. But I think, you know, Merriweather stands at six, four, a buck 85, you know, he's going to, he's going to add some bulk. By the time the first game rolls around, he's probably going to be at about 190, 195 at six, four. That's huge. And I think for, like I mentioned before, the lack of that outside guy pairing him with Michael Mayer is going to be dangerous bookend targets to go after. So if there's two guys that I'm really excited about, it's definitely those two. Honestly, when it comes to the buzz around this class, I I couldn't agree on the first two guys. And honestly, I'm really excited that Merriweather, you know, he does stand to probably see some some significant time this year, but it's going to be in a veteran laden position group with Avery Davis coming back and Braden Lindsay coming back. This is hopefully, man, fingers crossed, this is Braden Lindsay's year, right? Just the fact that he can kind of, and oh, Joe Wilkins is another guy who's yep. been around the program for several years now. It feels like, feels like a lot of these guys have been around for about six years. But the fact is, he can kind of slot in and get some time and be really insulated by a lot of veteran presence. And honestly, I feel the same with Jalen Sneed. I mean, he'll probably slot in at Rover behind Jack Kaiser. That's, that's, you know, he seems logical, it seems to be that prototypical type. You mentioned the, the, the comp to Jeremiah Usukoromoa, yes, for our beloved Cleveland Browns, and that's the first guy I thought of. Quite as bulky as like a Jalen Smith, but more versatile than a Jalen Smith, more like a JOK. So, so we mentioned Sneed and Merriweather. Anyone else on the list we're excited about? Jaden Mikey might get, some, might get some experience. I think he'll, he'll be more of a nickel guy right away, maybe some dime packages, nickel packages. I, I definitely see him as a presence on special teams right away. I think that that was a point of emphasis. You know, we, uh, Brian Mason is the new special teams coach, I think is going to yes. have a lot of these guys flying around the field. And I think having a guy with the speed of Mikey is going to be awesome. Um, not to say that he's not going to redshirt, just, you know, with that new four game rule now. Right. It is a possibility, which is, which is deep as we are in that secondary. I, I think that that could be a possibility. But I think you're going to see a lot of our offensive guys redshirt this year. They're going to get some valuable time in some of the, you know, the games against maybe a Cal or some of those lower games where it's just you're going to throw them in because they need the experience, which, again, adds to the lure of Notre Dame being able to be so veteran and so deep at virtually every single year, which I think is a huge benefit for us. No, you know, there's one, you know, there's one five-star in Jalen Sneed and a bunch of four stars, right? which I think can actually pay dividends for a team like Notre Dame, especially making a playoff run, because you're going to get a lot of smart veteran guys that, that are here to stay and they've, they've been around, right? You know, it's not these, 
blue chip number one, number two overall players that are going to be here two, three years, and then go off to the draft. They're obvious. Those are valuable guys. Sure. Um, And they obviously you look at Georgia and Alabama, they have success with them, but I think Notre Dame and coach Freeman are going to be able to make it work with this class. I, I agree. I think this is a great class coming out of the shoot for coach Freeman. I think looking around at it, it could be a foundational one. You know how they do that at almost every senior, every senior day. Of course, they naturally do it. They talk about the class, its individual parts, but it's class and it's an importance to the program as a whole. And not that you need to be reminded of that only on senior day. You kind of look at these guys as almost a cohesive unit as they work through the program. And I think that you're exactly right. I, I think this is a class that could really prove to be a highlight as we see them grow and develop for the next few years. I would also, Tyson Ford, of course, he's, I think he's going to be another guy who might slot in. I, out of all these guys that are coming back for another year that I otherwise didn't expect to, Isaiah Foskey. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. I was, ask my kids. I was gleeful when I heard <laughs> he was coming back because he is one of my absolute favorite guys. So anyways, let's, so 22 players we got coming in on the 2022 class, number seven in the country. And if, there's a lot of intrigue to this class, I think, and it's a very diverse class. But as Matt mentioned, it is very defensive heavy. I mean, it definitely has some thumbprints, fingerprints even of Coach Marcus Freeman on it. I'm personally very excited about it. So let's talk about, if we can here, let's, let's segue into the composition of the current edition of the Fighting Irish as it kind of stands here today, mid-February 2022. We know that a lot can change. What position group, Matt, would you say that you're most excited about as we roll into the spring season blue and gold game? Yeah, I think pairing the recruiting class with the guys coming back from the offensive line, I absolutely love knockdown drag out fights between a, a big brute offensive line and a front four, front seven of the defense that just absolutely obliterate each other. We're from the Midwest. Yes. It's, you know, Notre Dame football, it's Big Ten football. It's AFC North football. It's it's about the front seven and the front fives, right? Absolutely. So I think you take the offensive line, pairing that with Coach Heinstein coming back. We ought, we have one, two, three, four offensive tackles in this recruiting class alone. Mm-hmm. It's a re- I mean, it's going to be a recipe for success. You know, we Notre Dame football is consistently known for having a top five, top ten offensive line every single year. And it's not going to be any different. And especially when you have virtually a freshman quarterback, you know, even if it is Buckner, he got his time this year, but he's going to be the guy. I know that there's Drew. I know that there's rumblings about it. It could be Drew Pine. It could be Tyler Buckner. I think it's going to be Buckner with the experience, with the mobility, with the absolute cannon the guy has. <laughs> yeah. I think having that strong front five to keep him protected and give him time to make plays, let the routes develop is going to be pivotal. If that line folds because of injury communication issues, so goes the offense. So I think that Logan Diggs in the backfield needs the strong offensive line. I think our success this year on offense is going to be squarely in the hands of the offensive line. And yeah, it was strange. We had, I'll just call it odd cohesion issues last year. I don't know how else to describe that actually, but I don't think we're going to have that this year with Kristofic and Alt coming back. And they were kind of the elixir. Once they got inserted into those, in those spots on the uh, left side, next thing you knew, all of a sudden the line was playing really well. And it was kind of a, 
Interesting. It was almost yep. a phenomenon, but anywho. So yes, I, I agree with you. That offensive line, first of all, a, I think we're incredibly spoiled with all these offensive line prospects that we seem to just have in spades somehow, but Blake Fisher coming back. He's an Indiana boy. I couldn't agree more though about your sentiment, man. I like the slobber knocker up front. When I watch a football game, that's where I watch. I know a lot of people kind of just follow out that pig skin around the field. <laughs> man, I want to see, I want to see the collision between the line. I played defensive line for a long time. And that's where you know the battles being won and the football games being won. And so I would definitely say offensive line for myself and then also the defensive backfield. We enter into the program an incredibly impactful transfer in Brandon Joseph from Northwestern. I mean, just huge, an All-American, former All-American. And so now all of a sudden people are like, what are we going to do without Kyle Hamilton? Well, A, we went without Kyle Hamilton for most of last year. And now B, we've got a guy who it could be every bit as good. I mean, Brandon Joseph. And then you get the news that Houston Griffith is coming back. And I think he's going to, he's in like his ninth year, right? Like it's like ninth or 10th year at this point. He has been in the program for so long. <laughs> him, I love and, him, and Avery, I, him and Avery Davis have their AARP cards. Already, I don't know they? it, man. They're collecting social security, man. Once they get their diplomas. <laughs> I know. I mean, you know what? It, I love it. It was um, Sean Crawford a couple of years ago. Yes, like Sean Crawford's yes. been here for 10 years. Hey, but you're, but as you mentioned earlier, there is something to this. You get a program guys who want to be there, especially guys like I absolutely adore Avery Davis did a whole episode about him a couple months back and he helped <laughs> help promote the show. I absolutely love Avery Davis and there will always, always be a spot on the roster for a guy like him. And, you know, Houston Griffith has bought in ever since Marcus Freeman arrived to campus. You notice that's when that guy, all of a sudden, there was something that changed in him. I mean, obviously, he was entering the transfer portal. Marcus comes in as D.C. And all of a sudden, he's not. And now he's staying on for next year. I mean, that is huge. So you have Houston Griffith and Brandon Joseph at safety. But then also you have Cam Hart, Clarence Lewis, Tariq Bracey. I mean, Ramon Henderson. You've got all these guys who have seen some very meaningful time. And I know uh, Bracey in particular and Clarence Lewis, I mean, you've kind of seen some play that's been up and down out of these guys over the years. But if you look at the defensive backfield as kind of the, the strength of the sum of all of its parts, this is an incredibly strong and deep unit. Especially when we need it with going against that team out West this year with, with their addition to Caleb Williams. I mean, he's, I hate, I hate those colors. I hate that team out there in, in, in LA, but you and me both. <laughs> you, you've, you've got you've got to think that part of the reason that they went after Joseph, um, I know he was before Williams and before Lincoln Riley got out there, but you kind of knew with our schedule, you know, it's going to be tough going with our pat with with the, the passing games we're going to see this year. Um, and obviously no slouch with with Ohio State at all. So yeah. we're going against some perennial passing games this year. So I would agree with you. I think that the addition is a transfer, the more so from the experience, more so from, you know, the defensive, the, the defenses in the Big Ten seem to be the pinnacle groups of that conference. And to get a guy from a Pat Fitzgerald system, hard-nosed system, play-till-the-whistle system, it's great to have him in the secondary, especially with not having Hamilton back there anymore. And speaking of going against those strong passing offenses, I'm personally also looking forward to having both Adam Alola's back on the uh, defensive front. <sighs> of course, Howard Cross. And it's like, I mean, and it feels like Jacob Lacey at backup nose guards, just like sugar at this point. 
because he would st- I have I have a sense that he would start for so many programs, but I think they're going to have a, a really strong ability to get after the passer again. And Foskey's coming back, and at that uh, they call it the Viper spot in the yeah. in the program. Talking about the current edition of the Irish, we have to touch on the fact that the defensive line is once again going to be very very stout with barring injury, almost no question marks. We know that these guys can just flat play. So then, so that covers the defensive line. I have to ask you, so, cause you mentioned it earlier, you have the sense that Tyler Buckner will be, will be starting week one against Ohio state in Columbus, as opposed to drew pine, because I feel like the public sentiment on this probably not quite 50, 50, Matt, you know, but there's a lot of pine supporters and they are very, very fervent. Sure. And and I'll be honest it's one A and one B, right? Like you're getting you're getting very similar dual threat guys, great field vision and swagger. That's the one thing that I think that we've lacked at the quarterback position for a while. Somebody that is a is a game changer, not a game manager. Deep down, what I've seen in Buckner. Now, granted, he's only hey, been Matt. In I got to tell you, I'm sorry, Matt. Ian Book is cursing us somewhere, by the way. I'm just kidding, man. (laughs) No, and I get it, and I love Book winning his quarterback in Notre Dame history, but he wasn't a guy that he could win you the games that we had on our schedule, and I'm I'm totally fine with that and forever indebted to the quality that he brought to the table. But I think with the changing of guard that we have in Coach Freeman, it's younger, it's vibrant. Coach is bringing some swag to the table. Every national championship team, maybe with the exception of this year's Georgia team, it's all about the relationship between the quarterback and the head coach. 100%. And they've got to be on the same page, and they have to have virtually the same personality. Trevor Lawrence, I think, was a mimic of the personality of Dabo Sweeney. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know that Pine has that swagger, but I don't think he necessarily is ready yet and has the physical tools that Buckner has. If I'm wrong and Pine comes in, we go to the playoff and we lose no games or one game this year. You can put this on cold takes exposed on Twitter <laughs> and I'm fine with that. I don't care. I will be, I will be that, but my heart of hearts, I just, I think Buckner has the tools for me right now. Where the, I think where the offense is particularly with the running back room is not as strong as it as like, that's, I think that's the one area, even with a guy like Chris Tyree, Chris Tyree is blazing fast but he's not the complete running back that Kyron Williams show, was. was. Right. And Chris Tyree could come out and have a great season. And I don't think any of us would be surprised, by the way. Same with Logan Diggs. I, I guess I'd be a little bit more surprised because Logan, I mean, Tyree's got just like the breakaway speed, probably among the best in the whole program. But the fact of the matter is, is looking at that aspect of the offense, you're going to want to, I hate to say it like this, but an extra set of legs out there. And I hate to break it down and distill it so simply, but that's how I think about it. Buckner showed that he could run on some very good defenses and he could throw on some very good defenses. He struggled a bit, of course, when he didn't, wasn't given time as most quarterbacks would decision-making, but let's, let's be easy on the kid. He didn't have a senior year and he, his senior year was COVID, right? So he didn't play at all senior year. And I think, was he injured for part of his other, other part of his high school career? I could be wrong. Yeah. So, I think part of this that we're, that we're also forgetting about, and you played football. I didn't play I, I've, I've been a, a, a valiant supporter from the sideline. I've watched enough football. When you don't have the reps in practice with, with your number one quarterback and your number one set of receivers, you're, you can't get thrown into a system in the middle of the game and expect to have rhythm 
expect to know the tendencies of the receivers and be able to read the defense like you need to read it. I think if you give Buckner the, you know, you give him the reins, he's got the entire spring to work with the receiving core, the entire preseason leading up to that first game, you're going to see a different passing game from him. He has the awareness, you know, with the, the RPOs that they kind of like to run with him. He's got the awareness to read the ends to figure out what he needs to do, which is great. But we aren't Navy. We can't run for 500 yards a game and expect to win football games, right? That's very so, true. <laughs> um, I, I think that you're absolutely right. Having his set of legs, but also giving him the ability to meld with the offense and not have that love Tommy Reese. And I understand why they were doing it because it was two polar opposites of quarterbacks this year. But you got him. You got to give him the ability to be the guy, run with you know, run with the offense, and allow him to develop some type of relationship and rhythm with those guys. Given a full spring, a full summer, I, I I can't I can't fathom that he's not number one. I was talking to one of my younger brothers, also a diehard Irish fan. He's he's kind of in the pine crowd and like and gonna like really stump for Buckner. But like I also, if Pine gets it, it's because he's won it fair and square. You got to believe Buckner's got the inside track on it, and you got to trust Coach Freeman, and you got to cut, you got to, you got to trust this. Whatever they decide, you run with, and you, you've got to buy into it. A- absolutely. So let's let's talk one more thing. We got a, a few more minutes here before we uh, before we wrap up, but let's let's talk about sleepers in the program. So we've dropped a ton of names, as it were, already. But who are some of those guys? This is something that we traditionally do around here where we talk about guys who we think are primed for a breakout. And I've put some names out on the record. It it lives in in the stratosphere. Some of them were really good picks. Some of them proved to be awful picks. And that's just kind of how it is when you pick sleepers. Uh, You know, if you said Tyler Buckner, that'd be kind of lame because like he's not a guy who's going to creep up on anybody. People know who this guy is. Matt, if you were to think about sleepers, I have one that I picked last year and due to injury, I have to pick him again because we didn't get to see him. But when we were to think about guys who are primed to have a breakout season, I am thinking side linebacker Marist Leofau. He was having an absolutely awesome camp by pretty much everybody. Anybody who was reporting was saying, Hey, this is Leah Fowles year. This is Leah Fowles year. And I was like sitting back like, tee hee hee. You know, I picked this guy. He's going to, he's going to do it. This is his year. And then of course he goes down with a pretty catastrophic knee injury. So I think Maris Leah Fowles is going to be a guy. I mean, he's got a little bit of a nose for the football. He's tough. He's physical. We'd be remiss not to mention he's got some pedigree as far as his high school is concerned. Of course, I believe his high school also has uh, Manti Teo among its uh, <laughs> alumni. So Maris Leah Fowles is my pick. I think he's going to turn some heads this year. Matt, who you got? So you already mentioned his name, so I'm not going to consider him. He's a sleeper to me, but I think his stat line is what's going to be a sleeper. Yes, okay. I'm going with Chris Tyree. I think everybody's looking at Logan Diggs to be the number one running. But I think where Tyree is going to be dangerous is you're going to be able to split him out to the slot. I'm going to say 500 yards rushing, 500 yards receiving, and I think he might be the guy – in the return game this year, two return touchdowns this season. Just for posterity, 500 yards receiving, 500 yards rushing, the number one guy in the return game with two return touchdowns. Yes. With Kyron Williams, and Logan Diggs, and Chris Tyree, he was the afterthought. He mm-hmm. didn't really have the ability to bounce tackles and break tackles, which is stunning with his speed. You think he yes. would be the outside guy that would get to the tackle and just turn it up and he he didn't do that last year, which I think was for me, 
the biggest surprise of last season is that he didn't have a bigger impact. Yeah. But I think he's going to go under the radar. I think at the beginning of the season, I think he's going to be a game changer in some of those bigger games with a big breakout play against Ohio State, with a big breakout play against Clemson, that's going to turn the tide. You know, I envision what my vision is, is he's the guy that's going to seal the game against Ohio State with a massive 40, 45 yard run late in the fourth quarter when we're already up seven. Ooh, I like it. That he's just going to, he, he's going to put the hammer down on the game. Those are the moments that he's going to shine in because he's not an afterthought, but he's, he's the guy kind of, that everybody seems to forget about on, on, on offense. If your numbers and your projections come to fruition, that's going to be a huge lift for an offense, our offense, and that's going to be huge for our program. One of my favorite moments of the season, and I mean, it was no doubt a tumultuous yet very successful season that had this very strange ending, of course, where our, our head coach kind of flees south and has been doing nothing but bizarre. Just We'll just call it bizarre since. Who could forget when Chris Tyree against Purdue takes that kickback? I mean, that was... Absolute game changer. Oh, I felt bad. I, I had my kids around me. Uh, we're all watching the game. I'm in a bad mood because we're not playing well. And all of a sudden, Chris Tyree takes that kickback, and I said things that I should never say in front of children. But <laughs> So Chris Tyree, Maris Leofau, uh, anyone else you want to throw into the ring? Um, you're going to hear Avery Davis's name a ton. You know, if he doesn't set some type of program record for targets in a season, I would be surprised by that. I think with having a young quarterback, it's stick with the guys you know. You know, you let him build with those guys, then everybody else comes along for the party and grows with the offense. And a party, I hope it is. And so on that note, our final point here, let's talk about this schedule. So I don't think it's any secret when we look at the 2022 campaign, it's obvious that the game everybody has circled is right out of the gate with Ohio State in Columbus. We could probably talk an hour about that, just that game. So let's actually shelve that one for a moment. What game are you most looking forward to aside from that showdown in Columbus? What other games on the schedule are you like, yes, this is going to be a good, compelling matchup, or this is just merely one I'm excited for? I know, I know you're looking forward to the Navy game because you enjoy that game, and I do too, but uh, what games are you looking forward to? Well, let's just put it on the record. We're talking about Notre Dame's schedule, and remember, Notre Dame doesn't play anybody except Ohio State, Clemson, and USC. So right. let's, we're just going to absolutely you know, air that out there for any trolls <laughs> yeah. that are out there listening. Thank you. To me – the game that I, I put a huge question mark around, and I'm very interested to see how this goes, is the BYU game out in Las Vegas. Mm. Anytime you go out west. Now, Notre Dame has the luxury of going out west once a year, whether it's USC or Stanford. So they know the time difference. They know what it plays on the body. They know how to deal with SoCal or Palo Alto or wherever it is that they play out there. Vegas is a different animal. And when you're playing – at, or at Allegiant Stadium against BYU, I don't know what BYU team we're going to get. Are we going to get the team that's ranked in the top 15? And, you know, they wanted the Holy War. You know, I hate that name, but they wanted the Holy War at the right. end of the season and the, you know, in championship week against Notre Dame and, and BYU. If we can get that game, that just adds to the strength of schedule. And I think that's going to be a really, really appealing game from a strength of schedule standpoint in the event that Notre Dame does trip up somewhere, but also it is BYU. They can go three and eight one year, three and nine one year. 
they can run the table and and be undefeated and be top 12. Right. To me, getting to October, getting to October 8th and seeing what be what BYU team we're gonna play, I'm most excited about that game. Obviously, it's probably gonna lead to another episode USC this year. I'm not sure that we will see a we've seen a USC team like this since the Pete Carroll days. Yes. And some Notre Dame fans are going to be like, oh, man, I love seeing us beat up on them. And you're going to hate me for bringing this game up. But how fun were the mid-2000 games, the Bush-Push game? <laughs> it, <laughs> yeah. The ending was terrible. But how fun were those years where they were dogfights? They, they were. They were. And for most of the Brian Kelly era, they traded blowouts, of course. I mean, yes. they, they, they kind of mollywopped us a few times, and we returned the favor, fortunately, more times than they gave it to us. But no, you're exactly right. I had three games circled and that was one of them for the exact reason. Uh, we're not, this isn't, uh, this isn't the USC team we're accustomed to seeing, I think. And it doesn't help that again, we're at USC, tough place to play, especially when USC is good. So I, I had BYU circled. We, we, we didn't collude on this, of course, <laughs> but the only silver lining that I had in my notes was that we do have the bye week before the BYU yeah. game. And I know because of, you know, it's modern tech. I know we don't have many listeners in Utah. I will offend probably very few people with this, but I agree that the mortal enemy of the Catholic is the Mormon. And so this is a game I'm super juiced for, but you're right. BYU is incredibly unpredictable. I don't think anyone would be surprised if they went four and eight or if they went 10 and two, who the heck knows? What are we going to see? I don't know. We'll all find out. We'll all find out together, but you know, North Carolina, I don't know why that team always makes me nervous. I have no idea why they always do though. We could be incredibly veteran laden. They could be young. It's going to, we're going to, we're going to tussle with them. Well, I mean, you got Mac Brown though, right? I mean, that's players adopt, adopt the attitude of their head coach. If there was a a Mount Rushmore somewhere of, of coaches, I think that there are some people that could theoretically argue that Mac Brown with his longevity and, and having the success at multiple institutions you know, I'm not comparing him to Bear Bryant or, or to Coach Saban or anything, but he's a damn good coach. Absolutely. Um, and will have his team ready no matter what the game is. If it's a number one versus number two, or if they've lost every single game, their team's going to come to play every time. When I was looking through the schedule, that's one thing that did give me a little bit of pause is I think Marcus Freeman is an incredibly dynamic individual and coach. However, experience is something that you just need to have. Like you, you acquire, you don't start a job and all of a sudden you're going to be a world beater, at least in most cases. And you look at the schedule up and down the schedule, you've got some very tenured coaches who probably look at Notre Dame. They're like, it's Notre Dame. Absolutely. But they do have a first year coach. This is our year. We're going to, we're going to take them out this year. We'll see. It's going to be very interesting. Well, Matt, I reckon actually that should probably about wrap us up here for the state of the program address. Is there anything else that you'd like to, to throw into the ring here before we before we sign off? No, I think we'll talk about it. You know, we're obviously going to going to hit the season preview. The message that I'm going to give all of the fans out there is please be patient with this year's team. You know, we've seen it too many times in the in the in the era of social media. where you get a coach that gets off to a slow start, whether they've been there for 15 years, they've been there for 10 years, like was it 2016 with coach Kelly, you know, they were calling for his head at the end of the season. They sure were first year head coaches. You know, I'm I'm not trying to be the pessimist, 
Yeah, my uncle's been a diehard Notre Dame fan, and you always brought up a good point when we were talking about the coaching search. First-year head coaches do not have a lot of success. Right. I hope nothing but the best for Coach Freeman, and I think that this is a very different Notre Dame team that he's taking over than a lot of first-year head coaches. Right. But they just – there's something about the institution. There's something about the head coaching position at Notre Dame itself. So as a fan base – You've got to show some latitude. You've got to be patient. Alex and I both won a national championship. We all won a national championship. Absolutely. But Rome also wasn't built in one day. Couldn't Hey, couldn't agree more. And I guess this is bad radio. I just tipped my hat to that point. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, if memory serves, Brian Kelly, who I know we, no one likes to defend these days, he lost, I think, five games that first year. Exactly right. We were all very unhappy after the Fiesta Bowl game, but I want to say it took two or three weeks for us to recalibrate and like temp, like get our expectations back to where like a reasonable place. I think that's exactly right, Matt. I think that's where we need to approach this season and we need to kind of take it kind of in stride and just be understanding of the situation. First year coaches at Notre Dame typically don't fare well. And yeah, he'll earn his bones this year. This is a good schedule to go against for a first year coach. Well, he's hit. I want to know, and this, I don't, this stat might be floating around there, but when has a head coach made their head coaching debut against their alma mater? Oh, we might have to get a lot sports bureau in that one. That also, no, not a lot of people are talking about it, but that's going to play a factor into that opening game. And again, we'll talk about it. To me, that's going to be the X factor. When Coach Freeman walks through the tunnel in the shoe <laughs> and those emotions of him being a player start rushing back, how are the players – are the players going to rally around that and know that this is a very important game for him, not just from a, an opening head coaching debut game, but he, who, who they're playing against? Oh, or yeah. do the players get lost in the moment because Coach Freeman's lost in the moment? So that to me is the X factor for that game. And we'll, we'll cover that down the road. We, and we sure will. And we sure will. And I'm actually, I'm looking forward to it. I hope everyone's had a good time listening to this state of the program address. I know we touched on a lot, but hopefully it was informative to you. This is just a reminder to head over to onward to victory dot blog, which is our new initiative for the 2022 season brought to you by wcscreens.com. Our faithful friends and fellow sons of Aaron at wcscreens.com. Dot com. So f- please feel free to go back and listen to any of the old episodes, whatever it is that tides you over here in the offseason. But rest assured that we have a lot planned for 2022, and it's going to be an epic, epic year. So I will sign off now, but this has been Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast in kindness. I'm your host, Alex Painter, and my buddy here, Matt Gehring, new to the team. And as always, go. Irish.